1: It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does
2: show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it?
3: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke And I'm Lizzie Burden. Welcome to the programme. So let's start with the big topic of the day, Lizzie. This is health unions who are at loggerheads with the UK government. So the Royal College of Nursing wants the Tories to meet them halfway on pay. That's what their union chief has said. This ahead of more planned strikes, of course, later this month. And now this morning we've heard that junior doctors in England are going to consider walking out for 72 hours
2: in March. And now a new development. We've just heard from the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He says that he's bringing all the union leaders round the table for discussions on Monday.
3: So, uh, the Prime Minister, really pretty fascinating. Um it's been very difficult to get that meeting but now it's going to come on Monday also you have to remember that the railway workers are still on strike Uh, ongoing talks there, we'll be speaking to our Bloomberg reporter who's been out on the picket lines this morning uh, to discuss that, Bloomberg's Eamon Farhat, he'll be joining us in just a moment, but look, after Keir Starmer's speech yesterday, very pleased to say that we've got a really important voice from the Labour Party joining us uh, this morning, Labour's Pat McFadden Shadow, Chief Secretary to the Treasury is with Lizzie and I. Pat, good morning. Thank you so much for your time. Let's start on the NHS then. I'm going to begin with the question that I've asked every Labour politician over the past few months. What is a reasonable pay settlement from Labour's perspective for nurses?
1: You don't pick a percentage like that. It's got to be negotiated. You've already seen how this has moved uh, within the last 48 hours. This dispute began with the nursing union, the RCN, asking for 19% pay increase. They're now asking for 10%. Uh, and what that shows you is this has got to be negotiated. It's got to be negotiated by the government of the day. They're not negotiating with the opposition of the day. I welcome the news that the Prime Minister has asked to see union leaders uh, on Monday. I don't think there's been enough direct engagement like that. And it's only by sitting down and negotiating that we'll see a resolution to this dispute, which we need but, to see because our NHS is under huge pressure even when there's not a strike on.
2: But Pat, negotiating, negotiation in and of itself isn't a deal. Can we assume that pay rises that match inflation are off the table?
1: Well, what the government's done today by publishing new legislation is more like striking a pause than striking a deal. And they'll have to strike a deal at the end of the day so you know where this always goes is the unions in any dispute will start off by asking for whatever it is it might be a sum of money it might be a percentage perhaps the employer is offering something different and ultimately maybe everybody has to move a little bit to get get things back working
3: Okay, but what is the floor? What is the affordability? Um, Labour's 20 points ahead in the polling, wants to come into government in two years' time. You're going to be responsible for paying this bill. The NHS is the biggest employer in Britain. Is 10% doable?
1: Well, when we are responsible, that's when I think questions like that uh, can be directly uh, put to us when we are in charge of these budgets. And what I'd point you to is, what we did before on this, I mean, when we were in power before, uh, we were able to ensure decent pay increases in the NHS. We never had uh, certainly a nationwide dispute like this in our years, thirteen years in office. And We were also able to invest in the service, lowering waiting times, lowering waiting lists. When we left office, uh, public satisfaction with the NHS was was at its highest levels ever recorded but we're not negotiating parties to this dispute so there's no point in me picking out a percentage and saying that's what they've got to get this has got to be negotiated by the people who are okay. running these budgets and running these services, and the unions <laughs> concerned, I'm sorry about the bell. We're sitting in Parliament. <laughs> Saved by the bell, Pat. Okay. Well, neither
2: of you, neither of you, but either party will commit to inflation-busting pay rises. Then both of you say that you'd get round the table. But why should we vote for Labour if your offers no not distinguishable from the Tories?
1: Well, I think you should. You know, why should people vote for Labour? Because when you look to the future of the on the NHS specifically, when you look to the future, what we've identified is the real problem facing the NHS is staffing and capacity. So we produced a plan to train more doctors, train more nurses. It's fully costed, paid for by getting rid of that uh, non-DOM tax loophole, which the country doesn't need anymore. Uh, and there's no, if you get beyond the, the current pay mm. dispute, there's no long-term solution to the NHS that doesn't revolve around answering these staffing uh, questions. There's a huge number of vacancies in the system, they need to be filled, we need to be training the people to do it and that's the kind of long-term planning that the service needs and that's what we've been working on and developing.
3: Okay but given the ageing population, that's the other issue, surely the long-term issue for the NHS is a change to the funding and delivery model of the NHS. At some point, there has to be, you know, from the business perspective, a kind of realisation of that. Over in Ireland... All political parties had to get together before the last election in order to, you know, decide on a long-term plan for healthcare because it's kind of an intractable, expensive, um, difficult issue that needs everybody's buy-in. Is there any chance that Britain would do something as sensible as that?
1: Well, when you say funding and delivery model, I'm not sure what you mean. I think we've got a good model in the NHS uh, with some very important principles. Uh, at its heart, which uh, shouldn't be changed. Uh, and that is, of course, that it's paid for out uh, of general taxation. It is free at the point of use. The delivery of care is based on clinical need, not the size of your wallet. Uh, these are important but principles. But we can't pay for it at the moment. Oh, that, I just don't believe that's the case. Uh, this is the kind of um, uh, doom-mongering that opponents of the NHS are always keen to uh, to sow that somehow the model is unsustainable and so on. Uh, the model is not unsustainable, but it needs to be rescued after 13 years of conservative stewardship. And again, I'd point you to uh, the record when my own party was in power. Uh, we did sustain the model and it was very successful. But Pat, so it's a different time to this that stuff now. That the model is, uh, hang on, just let me make this point. I do not believe these stories which you see in these comment pieces that says the basic nhs model is unsustainable it is sustainable but what has to happen is a combination of investment and reform uh, we're not just about saving the nhs we're about renewing it as well and that means looking for example how new technology can be used uh, to maximize the benefits for patients it means looking for example about how you can get quicker diagnostics how you can deal with delays and bottlenecks in the system. How do we deal with the problems of people getting a GP appointment? The system mustn't stand still or be frozen in time. But the basic concept of the NHS, as it has existed is definitely sustainable with the right backing from the right government. It may yes, not be Pat- getting that now, but it certainly will do if we get into office.
2: Your colleague Wes Streeting has just said, I won't pretend the NHS is the envy of the world. Keir Starmer says there isn't a blank check for the NHS, that there needs to be reform. That's code for privatisation, isn't it? You can't do this without a blank checkbook.
1: No, it's not it's Not code for privatisation. Look, any, any service like... The NHS, like the school system, like anything, has to adapt to new times and new expectations. I mean, this service was founded many decades ago. Public expectations about what they want from health have changed in that time. Public needs have changed in that time as the population's changed and so on. So the point I'm trying to make is we're not seeking to preserve the NHS as a sort of museum piece. We're seeking certainly to secure its future, but also to modernise it, to renew it and give it new life for the future. I think we can do that by maintaining that basic funding model and that funding principle that has existed for a long time. And, you know, Wes is right about its current state, but I do believe it can become the envy of the world once again uh, without changing the basic principles upon which the NHS is organised.
3: OK, well, we're, we're living real time politics with the parliamentary division bill there, bell there going off in the background. Um, Parliament's not
1: even sitting. I don't know why the division bill to, keeps going off. They must okay. be
3: testing it. Testing it for Monday when Parliament returns. Um, look, very, very interesting. In, the, in this case, let me just continue the idea around, you know, the pay issue. Um, the complaint one of the complaints has been the idea that the independent pay review body which the government has sort of relied upon to come up with the figures that should be given to to nurses is not independent would you change that how would you change that to make it you know for healthcare workers a more honest system for them
1: the peer review models come under some criticism from uh, unions recently i mean we see value in that model because it it should, when it's working well, take into account all the evidence and all the different interests because a pay award has to be fair both to the staff in any particular service and to the taxpayers who who fund it. So I don't think we're keen to jettison the model, but if people have got particular uh, criticisms of it, of course, we'll listen to those. To be honest, I don't think the root of the current problem is the peer review bodies as such, I think the root of the current problem is inflation. And when you've got inflation running at 10% or so as it is now, it's not surprising that people uh, should be pressing for pay rises, particularly if their pay rises have been held down for a number of years. So, I don't think there's any particular Mm. rocket science involved in why
0: at cuttereconomicforum.com.
2: The other thing that stood out for me in Keir Starmer's speech yesterday, it seemed to be the main positive message that he wanted to convey, was this need to take back control, using the language of Brexit in order to talk about devolving power. But the reality is that turnouts low in local elections. Last May, only a third of people voted, most because they said they were too busy. Local people don't care about devolution. So why would they want more power?
1: Well, I thought it was an interesting argument that he made yesterday, which was really saying you had this Brexit slogan, take back control, which had a powerful appeal during the referendum. But has Brexit really given people any more control? I don't think so. Um, so, are there other ways of meeting that, that desire for control? So, what he's thinking of there is things like um, work finding, work support programs local transport, housing, and so on. Can we do more to devolve more power to to local areas? I think it's a good concept. Uh, local areas know their labour markets best. They know their skills needs best. Mm. Uh, so I think there's great potential in this, and it's something that Keir Starmer is very keen on doing.
3: Okay. Okay. Um- a little aside, I, I mean, in opposition, I can understand why having devolution is helpful, you know, to spread centres of power elsewhere. And Labour's made quite effective use of that with, you know, the Manchester mayor, for example. I wonder whether in power that would be the same case. But anyway, that that's something else. I want to also ask you about the Andy Strike legislation. I mean, we're talking about Parliament coming back uh, on Monday. Keir Starmer said that he'd reverse the government's um, legislation on on, you know, making strikes more difficult, making them punishable, surable, effectively. Do you think that that bill is undemocratic?
1: I think the government is striking a pose when they should be striking a deal. Uh, This legislation uh, has been discounted in terms of its effect by uh, the Tory's own Secretary of State for Transport, who said it will have no impact on the current disputes which are affecting so many different sectors of the economy. The same department's assessment of the legislation said that it could actually lead to more disputes in the future rather than uh, fewer disputes. I think it's really an admission of failure. The 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 government hasn't been able to uh, resolve these disputes through negotiations. So they're reaching for uh, legislation, which I'm sure they assume is going to give them some kind of dividing line, in politics, but I don't think it will help to solve these disputes and in fact, might make resolution of these disputes more difficult rather than making it easier.
2: But when you've got Keir Starmer pitching that Labour is the party of business, these strikes are creating so much disruption. We spoke to Carsten Brzeski, ING's chief economist this morning, saying that the strikes are hurting the UK's economy and will do in 2023. How would you prevent strikes disrupting the economy without being enthralled to the union's demands? Well, again,
1: look at our record in, in government. We have far fewer strike days uh, lost or working days lost to strikes during the period of uh, the Labour government. And it is true what you're saying that these strikes are disruptive to the economy, they're disruptive to individuals, people find it very difficult to plan journeys, the train's going to be running and so on. By the way, even when uh, the unions are not in strike, you don't know whether your train's going to be running these days because the Tories have made such a mess of running uh, public services so you know, I think this idea that somehow these strikes, with the government's trying to peddle, somehow these strikes are in some way the responsibility of the party that's not been in power for 13 years is a, is a curious one. These are happening on the Tories' watch. Millions of day, working days lost to strikes. They haven't been able to reach a resolution. Even when the strikes are not happening, is there a single public service in this country That is in a better position now than when the Tories came to power. I find it hard to think of one, certainly not the railways, certainly not the NHS, certainly not uh, our school pupils who don't even have the investment per pupil that they enjoyed 13 years ago. Uh, That's that's the situation with our public services. So uh, it's happening on their watch and it's not it is, just about it is. But I suppose the issue is that we're it's looking... It's also about the long-term future of these services.
3: Yeah, I, I suppose the, the main question is, as a voter... Um, you, uh, you know, and as a journalist, are we basically going to be in this situation of, of two years of kind of lame duck government? If you're 20 points ahead as the Labour Party in polling, you won't comment on, you know, the the issue of the day, which clearly needs speedy resolution. You know, when it comes to NHS pay, but also you know the other strikes and 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 uh, pay for workers. When do we find out from the Labour Party what their big offering is? Because even in Keir Starmer's speech this week, it was very big picture about the potential plans from the Labour Party. And I think. We want
2: detail. (laughs) Yes. When
3: do we get it? I can give you plenty
1: of detail. I'm very happy to comment on the issue of the day. What I'm not going to do, which is this is the thing you want me to do, you want me to pick a percentage and say that's what the nurses should get, or that's what the real. But you're the party of the union. Hang on, let me make the point. I am not a party to the dispute. I'm an opposition MP. I'm not around that negotiating table. My call is for those who are the parties to the dispute to get around the negotiating table and reach a negotiated settlement. So let me just make that clear on that. So how on quickly policy, does the government
3: need to resolve this situation? How many weeks do you think they should allow this to go on?
1: I think it's a matter of setting a timetable where we're going to say by a particular date this, it's already been going on too long, frankly. Yeah, if you in won't terms give us a percentage, policy, what's the date I'm that this is too much? I'm quite happy to go through particular areas with you. We talked about the NHS. I've talked about our proposals to train more doctors and train more nurses paid for by that um, the abolition of that non-dom relief. We've got a big green transition plan. We talked about the devolution plans that Keir Starmer announced uh, yesterday in his speech. We have plenty of policy... Uh, which we've already announced we will have more before the election. The big thing is, uh, for the country, what are we trying to communicate? It's two things, really, in his speech yesterday. The first is realism about uh, the economic circumstances. He talked about uh, the economic constraints that would uh, greet a Labour government because of the economic situation we're in. We can go through that if you wish, but I think we all know what it is. But the second is hope. Uh, You know, people need hope for the future, that these public services can get better, that the country can lead industrially in the areas where it's strong, in the big challenges uh, that it's being faced, and that we can change how politics is done. Uh, And I think that's a good agenda for the country. That's what Keir Starmer set out uh, yesterday. It was a big, important speech, and there'll be more of that in the months to come.
3: Pat, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on Bloomberg UK Politics. Lovely to speak to you. Labour's Pat McFadden is Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury.
2: Today is the fourth day of rail strikes this week, with workers from the RMT union walking out today as part of their long-running dispute over pay. And now, junior doctors are considering 72 hours of walkouts in March. So let's speak to Bloomberg's strike reporter, Eamon Farhat, because Eamon, you've been on the picket line with the RMT, with Mick Lynch, its boss. What was the atmosphere like?
4: Yeah, I mean, this is the third time I was on the picket line this week. Um, RMT again striking today. Um, It was busier, actually, I'd say, than normal. A lot of um, kind of foreign press today, so I'm definitely breaking through to kind of the other parts of the world. Lots of American people asking Mick Lynch questions. Um, And everyone's looking towards this meeting on Monday, so everyone was kind of keen to know what's going to happen. Will there be a deal? It seems that Mick Lynch is a little bit less positive than he was maybe earlier this week, probably because you know, because of this new anti-trade union legislation that was announced yesterday. Um, But people, the public, is still passing by and showing a lot of support. No one seemed to be shouting anything bad towards him. You know, there's always a bit of police protection there in case something escalates. But yeah, people were honking, people were supporting. It was pretty good.
3: That's quite interesting um, to know that. Uh, Look, there's also, um, I mean, perhaps unfairly, but, you know, the railway workers are being compared to the nurses and who should get more money, etc. And the nurses have sort of given this olive branch... Uh, or sort of slight concession that they might consider 10% um, pay increases. I mean, what does the RMT want? What do the railway workers want? And are you know, is it good news if the nurses get a pay deal for the railway strikers or not?
4: I mean, I think if the railway, if the nurses, sorry, get a pay deal, it does show that the government wants to start negotiating and start resolving these things. I mean, right now it seems that you know, for a long time, everyone has been very entrenched in their corners, and that's why nothing's been moving. And if things start moving on for one, you know, union, it might start moving for others. Uh, The RMT, you know, they haven't really put a figure on what they want. Obviously, Mm. something around inflation, but they're definitely talking about also the conditions. You know, they want to be able to protect their jobs, protect their conditions, and then talk about pay. And that's really what's been the issue right now. The government apparently um, introduced some clauses about driver-operated-only vehicles, having less staff on trains, and that's what killed one of the deals back in December, and that's still kind of an area of contention, so not just about pay.
2: And what do you make of the anti-strike legislation? Do you reckon it's going to be bogged down by opposition in the House of Lords, in the courts?
4: Yeah, I think definitely, you know, we've already been seeing some things that it could, you know, not pass some of the courts. I think also, you know, it does seem to come in a strange time As I said, you know, we're in the middle of a dispute, we're trying to resolve things, and this seems to be going the other way. And also lots of the unions and lots of the other people in the rail industry are saying that these legislations won't really work. You know, in Europe, we already have anti- these kind of legislations for minimum service levels, and they don't really do the job that aren't really effective. So maybe it should be more important for the government to try and resolve it. But at the same time, they need to be protecting businesses. That's that's the other side of it.
3: Um, I do think that the, the other difference to think about, though, is that for railway workers and tube workers etc the demand actually for the service is going down you know that's the opposite for the nhs isn't it they they have a less strong hand because fewer people are doing it and right? that could be a permanent thing if more and more people work
2: from home
4: yeah exactly they're definitely I, mean, I was talking to somebody from um, actually somebody who works in the city who was saying that in the past on a strikes day you know tube queues train queues it would be you know crazy but now everyone can work from home so actually these strikes are less effective maybe that mean yeah. that means they have to do more strikes because of that
3: yeah uh, what does that mean for efficiency you're more or less effective when you're working from home Eamon thank you so much for being with us Eamon Farhad is Bloomberg's strikes reporter who's actually down at Euston Station today so. don't get too used to the picket line Eamon that's
2: <laughs> it for us from us for today if you like the programme don't forget to subscribe give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen now
3: this episode was produced by James Walcock. and Rufal Hussain was on sound I'm Caroline Hepker and I'm Lizzie Burden we'll We'll be back with
2: more on Monday. This is Bloomberg.
1: Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Bloomberg.